Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Talking Games with Kelly and Andrew. I'm Andrew. And I am Kelly. Kelly, it's been another week. Uh, Do you know what that means? I sure do. It means seven days have passed. Well, nine days. (laughs) Nine days now, because somebody had a little heady ache. A widow. Oh, does somebody have a widow headache? It was me. (laughs) I was the one with the headache. Um. Yeah, a lot has happened in the past week. There's been some big news. There was there was a big event. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute. But we also got some news about maybe maybe some upcoming events. How about oh. you get us started, Kelly? Oh, oh, some upcoming events. Um, just a little something called entertainment. The entertainment expo. Anybody ever heard of it? A little thing called E3. Well. <gasps> It's happening this year, unlike last year, and Xbox has officially confirmed that they will be having a showcase at E3 this year. Uh, This will be uh, the first in-person show in four, count them, four, one, two, three, four years. Wait, what's, so, it was 2019. Yeah. Okay, that is four years. So four years. That didn't feel, when it said four years... It's been three shows, so my brain's like, no, that's three. Well, I'm just dumb. To be fair, 2020, 2021, and 2022 kind of all were like um, an amorphous thing. So um, this is exciting. I feel like E3 was always, we talked about E3 on this show, but E3 is always like, Oh my God, it's E3. And obviously in the past couple of years, it hasn't really been like that. Um, so I'm hoping that maybe this will be a return to form. I think if they could, and they won't, because let's be realistic, they won't. But if E3 could talk PlayStation into doing a show, so Ugh. it was Xbox, PlayStation, and Sony, E3 would, would be PlayStation be also be sto- also be Sony? Did you mean Nintendo? What did I- oh, yeah, play. Sorry, Xbox, okay. PlayStation, and Nintendo. That's so silly. I mean, like, what would Sony have that wouldn't be PlayStation? <laughs> Let's think about it. They're making a competing console for the PlayStation. <laughs> it's like they've there's been like a de- there's been a defector, and now there's a civil war going on inside Sony. That wouldn't um, be the craziest thing. Yeah, it would. Well, it would be, but. <laughs> No, I would. I think seeing the big three at one place in a week would be really cool. But realistically, we're going to get just as much news because I'm sure Summer Games Fest will be right before again, and then it'll be you know the usuals Xbox Bethesda, which we've said a thousand times. It's so much better now that they've merged. Like Bethesda's conferences were always so unnecessarily fluffy, mm-hmm. and when you combine Xbox and Bethesda, both of them benefit. Yeah, um, yeah. And I feel like PlayStation has to have something geared up for summertime. But, you know, they don't make games anymore, so who knows? <laughs> I'm tr- I'm trying to think of what they could have. Maybe um, that Horizon DLC. Yeah, but that's before June. So like, Oh, is it? Um, yeah. All they have is Spider-Man for... Well... Unless they have something big, which is possible. But, um, but today, actually, time of recording on the 25th, we had an Xbox Developer Direct, which, again, feels like that name is a crime but it's not i guess um so we saw news on minecraft legends which comes out in april we just found out i thought that game looked pretty good but i don't have a lot to say about it maybe i'll play it when it comes out we'll see what the reviews say um we saw more information about elder scrolls online expansion that was cool um we saw some stuff on ford of the motorsport neat uh there was one other thing that we'll talk about in a minute but there was one surprise which I didn't expect because they very specifically named four games and said these are the four games we're going to talk about. But there was a fifth from Tango Gameworks, who I often forget Microsoft owns, um, the creators of Ghostwire Tokyo, Evil Within, Evil Within 2. Um, They announced a new action game with a rhythm focused called Hi-Fi Rush. Uh, It is a comic book style third-person action game. Um... The graphics kind of blow my mind. I think it looks really nice in motion. Um, I didn't expect to see this, like, to see a new Tango Gameworks game, because, you know, Ghostwire is pretty recent. Um, I didn't expect something that would look like this from a very horror-centric developer. And I think, most surprisingly, 
argue, no, most surprisingly, definitively, it's out. This game was announced and is now out on Xbox Series X and S and PC and Game Pass. I, I didn't see this coming. I certainly did not see a shocking Tango Gameworks announcement and a shadow drop. Yeah, I think this is um, very interesting. I think it's fun that they did this. It doesn't seem like, obviously, the game isn't taking itself super seriously, but uh, it, it does look nice. I mean, it, it is, it's got sort of this interesting, like you said, it's like a comic book style, so it's almost kind of like cell shaded but there's some different style elements to it. And then there's, um, well, it's a rhythm game. A rhythm action experience. Very interesting. And I think shadow drops are really cool. I wish that they were more substantial like this more often. Because usually with shadow drops, it's it's like, it's not really, I mean, it's it's like a DLC or it's like, a you demo. know, it's not like a full, yeah, demo. It's not like a full game. Um, so that's pretty cool. I don't think I'll play it just because I'm not very good at rhythm games because I don't have a very strong <laughs> sense of rhythm. If you can believe it. Um, I don't. Um, but yeah, this is pretty cool. Robbie Draymond is the main character. I and know. I love him. Well, it's funny because the second you like put this on the sheet and we're talking about it earlier before we started recording, I saw his tweet about it and I was like, oh, this is exactly what Andrew's talking to right now. Not that I was scrolling Twitter while you were talking to me, but I just had it open and I was like, no, this... you, sh- you should be scrolling Twitter. We're a news show. Well, I was like, this tweet is exactly what Andrew is telling you right now. So um, <laughs> I just thought that was funny. So kind of, you know, now I just sound like a jerk. You're not, you're not a jerk. You're a good, you're a good friend and a good person. Wow. And I'm looking forward to playing Hi-Fi Rush before next week. It is a budget title. It's only 30 bucks if you paid for it. So I think that's why it makes sense for it to be a shadow drop. But still, like, it looks substantial and it's adding to Xbox's library, which honestly for 2023 is looking more more substantial and impressive than potentially even Sony's, you know, because this is the first first party title that they're releasing exclusively on their platform. But they have others coming out. That's true. Um, others such as Redfall, which got a very nice gameplay deep dive today um, at the event. Um, Redfall, uh, the zombie first-person shooter. Not zombie. Vampire first-person yeah, shooter. get it right. I'm sorry. There's so many monsters. I've done a great disservice, and I apologize. Um, first-person shooter, open world. Could be single-player. Could be multiplayer. Um Got a nice little deep dive today at the event. Um, very exciting. It's coming out on May 2nd, 2023. So that's like four months away. Barely. Almost three months away. But um, yeah, I didn't have not watched the full gameplay deep dive, but I am looking forward to this game. I... Yeah very specifically wasn't until today like i didn't care they were leaning so heavily into the multiplayer element yeah yeah that i lost interest but this trailer a lot of the deep dive they showed was solo Mm -hmm. and i realized oh so this is being marketed as an experience that can be you know either multiplayer or single player and that makes me a lot more interested in playing it honestly yeah me too I'm pleasantly surprised by that date. I think both of us said late summer, so early summer is a, is a pleasant surprise. Yeah. Well, we were thinking vampires equals Halloween equals September. <laughs> yeah. This definitely gives them a lot more leeway for, um, what would you say, for like marketing lead up to Starfield without trying to cannibalize this at all. That's I true. Assume, I assume at this point they'll probably, we'll probably see Starfield before May. But I think they'll go very hard on Starfield, like around E3, once re- once uh, replaced not replaced. Sorry, Redfall has been out. What is replaced? Replaces replaced that Pixar game. The, yeah, sorry, yeah. it's sorry. I don't know what my brain makes. <laughs> yeah, Starfield, Redfall, Redfall, Redfall. 
Um, but I think it looks really nice and I'm definitely going to be playing it now. I mean, I have access to a Series X and Game Pass, so like no real reason not to try it at the very least. Yeah. Um, but it was a good showcase. I'm glad that they were candid about how few games were going to be in it so that, you know, people went in with realistic expectations. And even so, we got a nice little surprise with Hi-Fi Rush. Yeah. Um, Redfall almost reminds me a little bit of like a... Almost like a... I don't want to say Left for Dead, but there's something about like the environmental design that reminds me of Left for Dead. Maybe yeah, it's... it feels like Death Le- Death Loop Left for Dead or Dishonored Left for Dead. Yeah, me, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's all the writing on the walls. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of writing on the walls. Not like metaphorically. There's a lot of blood written messages on the walls in this game. Yeah. Um, Maybe some some art, some art uh, drawings like poison. What would be on a poison bottle, Andrew? A skull and bones. Wow. Kelly, we already talked about the delay last week, but <laughs> there's some interesting news this week. Uh, PlayStation is currently refunding some versions of the game from the PlayStation Store, as well as it has now just straight up removed Skull and Bones from pre-order on their store. Um, PlayStation Store, obviously one of the most major storefronts for buying video games. Removing a game from there seems very, very weird to me. Especially one that theoretically is supposed to be out in the next like 12-ish months. <laughs> this ain't this this is not a good sign, Kelly. This is a really bad sign. I I simply don't know what to say. Um I think laugh. it's funny that nobody was even like notified. Like they're just like you just wake up and you get your money back in your account and you're like what happened? <laughs> um and you're like, "Oh, um uh, this game doesn't exist anymore <laughs> on the PlayStation Store, at least. Yeah. Um, it does not bode well. <laughs> but I think n- no news that has ever come out about this game has ever boded well. Boded? Bode. Bade well. No. <laughs> Certainly bone not. Bone well. Bo- it did not bone well. No, not like just because it's, it's skull and skull bones. And not bone like an- well. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, there's not really a whole lot I can say other than who knows what's going on at Ubisoft, especially after that very alarming news last week where they were like, we really got to do it, you guys. Um, this does not scream a final effort to me. This sort of screams, (laughs) uh, the ship is, is going down. Um, (laughs) But, metaphorically know, and literally and literally um but what would a world without ubisoft look like and they're they're really exciting assassin's creed game hub that's uh, supposedly a thing where you can play all the assassin's creed games who knows who knows what's happening over there in france um or canada ubisoft's in france right yeah i don't know where skull and bones is made probably france that's rough. Well, I'm sure things are, are doing better in Montreal with Square Enix, right? Um, would you be surprised if I said no? Uh, no. I'd actually, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> well, unfortunately, uh, as we know, they have crafted the incredible Marvel's Avengers game uh, that we all love and play all the time. Um, this game was... Uh, uh, released two and a half years ago, um, and it was not necessarily the most well-received game in the world. Um, yeah. There's going to be one more update at the end of March, and then it's done. And then official support is ending at the end of September this year, so Marvel's Avengers will be no more. I mean, it will be, but uh, it won't be supported. So um, you can't play online with people. Yeah, no more marketplace. Uh, yeah, but all those things are becoming free, which blows my mind. Like, can you imagine if you paid a bunch of money for all this stuff, and then in March it's just like, actually, all of it is free now. Well, to the poor soul who spent their real tangible money on 
Marvel's Avengers. I'm sorry that you specifically, the one person who did that, uh, spent money on this game more than uh, necessary. Um, Any money on this game is more than necessary. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, can't really say I'm sad to see it go. Um, actually, just kidding. I'm devastated. Uh, we know, hardly a, knew him. We hardly knew him. You know, I love the Avengers. I love that we will never escape the Avengers. I love that in every facet of life, the Avengers will be present along with Marvel properties themselves. Um, speaking of Avengers games, there's um, another game coming out that looks to be copying a lot of what Avengers did. Hopefully, <laughs> far better. That is uh, Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. We have always known that there's uh, co-op experiences available. Um, Still not 100% clear what this game entails, but a leaked screenshot of the menu has confirmed that the game has a battle pass. This game that is not a competitive game will have a battle pass that is uh, cosmetic things. I, I don't know. This is bad. So I hate $70 games, including battle passes, especially ones that are like linear, mission-based, story-based games. That feels gross to me, and I don't like this, nor does anybody. It's been nothing but negative reception. So do you have positive reception, Kelly? <laughs> uh, yeah, I love battle passes. I love spending $100 on a game. Yeah. Um, Especially one that you have to, if you don't play, that $30 gets thrown away because you didn't play in time. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's very it's a very odd choice. I mean, obviously, you know, from a money standpoint, they just want to make more money. But I think Battle Passes being in games, especially games like this, is, is a little bit like, <clears throat> okay, what are we doing here? What are we doing here, you guys? What's the end game? We just want to make a ton of money. We want to make people get different spandex for Harley Quinn. Different colored spandex. I mean, I don't know. It's just not that. Um, it just doesn't really make sense to me because it just no. feels like all around people wouldn't like it anyway. I'm not a huge fan of battle passes. I think in certain situations, it makes sense that they put them in games, like free-to-play games. I was going to say games that are free. Um and games that are multiplayer, um, where looking different actually makes sense. Like, yeah. if you really want to pay for different cosmetics because you don't want to look like the guy on your team because you want a cool costume, whatever, it's your money, it's your choice. But a battle pass for a game like this just is, uh, it's just silly to me. I mean, it's all silly. We spend enough money on these games. We shouldn't have to spend any more, but it is what I'm it still is. Hope, I'm still hopeful. I'm, I still really want to play this game, and if I'm able to play it in a single-player environment and enjoy it fully and ignore that Battle Pass situation, I'm still, I'm still in, but we'll have to wait and see what it's going to look like. Yeah, we'll have, to, uh, we'll have to boost on ahead to May when the game comes out, right? Wait, when does it come out? May. May. Yeah. So I knew that. But I'm also setting you up. For what? To boost into the next story. It's your story. Oh my god, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I really thought you were setting yourself up, but then you just looked at me with wide eyes. I am setting myself up. That was all an elaborate ruse <laughs> to tell you all that Nintendo is reportedly boosting Switch production this year. Um, because demand is just so darn high. Uh, everybody wants a Nintendo Switch. Um, so they are increasing productions. Production? Increasing production of the Nintendo Switch, which has been around for a while now. Um, but they're like, the, we can do it. And we will. Um, this is not the Switch production news I wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, this includes the regular Switch and the OLED. Yeah, I just, I don't know. It's 2023. I really, really, really want the Switch 2 or whatever it's going to be. 
in March of next year. And I think boosting production for the current Switch is not exactly the best sign for that happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, the original Switch was 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 big for two big reasons, I think. And the first one was the original Switch came out and people played Breath of the Wild like their life depended on it. And that game had so much like wide audience appeal. People I know who have never touched a video game in their life played Breath of the Wild. Um, and then it there was another boom in 2020 when the pandemic happened because everybody was staying at home and they wanted to switch because it's the Nintendo system. And it was the most accessible at the time, even though Mm -hmm. we might all remember that they were actually pretty hard to get your hands on for a little while there because demand was so high. So I think this next year, either we're going to have another horrible pandemic. Just kidding. I think this (laughs) upcoming year, it's they're mainly just doing this because they know people are going to want to play the next Legend of Zelda game. And I think that's a really big deal because I think that at this point, I mean, other than like Pokemon is Nintendo's like real bread and butter because people play Mario, but this is like probably one of, if not the most anticipated Nintendo sequel in maybe ever. Yeah. So I think that is why they're doing this. Yeah. Uh, It seems to pretty, pretty heavily confirm also that there's no switch pro, which at this point I would have been shocked by the announcement of a switch pro. But if they're upping the output of regular switches to like 20 million, I really don't imagine that they could possibly also put out a Switch Pro. Because this is saying 20 million of the regular switches, not 20 million of like an unnamed SKU that could be a Pro. It's like actually the Switch. So there's no way they could do that. And then also 20 million Switch Pros. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe they're just trying to get like this last year be like, a huge sale so they have a bunch of money to market the switch to that'd be Mm -hmm. nice i also am thinking maybe that um obviously we've seen issues with consoles in the past like two three years i guess at this point um so that with you know like the manufacturing and and the demand and the supply um i took an economics course in college just so everybody knows um (sighs) but so i i feel like maybe they just want to ensure that this launch of their next system is is able to be successful and maybe that's just taking a little bit more time because of the current market and the current Mm -hmm. atmosphere of the world i feel like if ps5s are easy to make now theoretically a switch 2 should be easy to make but since ps5's been in production already for a couple years maybe it's like the switch will this a switch too would take another few months to catch up you know and that's why they're doing this right right because i the chip shortage never really affected the switch because the switch does not use impressive chips right as we know yeah (laughs) just kidding um it's a joke no it's fair the switch is a massively underpowered little guy now as much as i still like the games on it i'm real ready for a switch too We'll see what happens. Hopefully, uh, my hope is that they do the same thing where in October they're like, hey, here's what we've been working on. And then they show it. And then in January, they were like, blow out. Here's everything about it and everything that's coming to it in the next year. And then it comes out in March. But th- at this point, the next six months, specifically the directs that show what's coming to Switch will be very telling. Because if they have a massive lineup for like, if they come out and they announce a bunch of things for 2024, I will not really bank on a Switch 2. Because yeah. at this phase, we know... Like, ports of old games and remasters yeah. and stuff. And Which is kind of like, like what they did with the 3DS, yeah. Yeah, and it might, then it might kind of be like, hmm. <laughs> hmm. Where are the new games? Um, It feels... I don't know. We have There's so much to learn and to see what's going to happen. Yeah. I got my fingers crossed. Yeah. A lot going on in the gaming industry, Andrew. Maybe you can tell us about what else is going on in the next news story. Uh, it's not good. <laughs> Microsoft, not Microsoft video games specifically, but Microsoft themselves have laid off 10,000 people. 
this is a huge blow to the to the industry to the electronics industry i feel very big sympathy for all of those employees and related to what we talk about on this show we have had confirmation now that a lot of those layoffs are within bethesda game studios as well as 343 who makes halo um this is a strange choice i feel like Obviously, 10,000 jobs across the company. There's clearly some economic worries. Um, But it is sad to see that people from a studio whose game is about to come out are getting laid off, you know? Like, 343, I would understand because of maybe Halo Infinite's unexpectedly low performance or something like that. But Starfield is around the corner. It's a weird time to be laying people off, you know? Yeah. I suppose they think that the heaviest of the legwork is done mm-hmm. um, and now it's really polish and marketing um, but yeah this is really like uh, uh, I, I, disappointing doesn't feel like the right word but it's 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 worrying it's Sad. concerning uh, there's always layoffs around this time of the year uh-huh. even though you know, there's layoffs and there's hirings, but <clears throat> um, I think it being this huge amount of people is 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 really very sad and also uh, concerning. Like I said, Andrew. Yeah. I have a serious question for you. Did you watch the Last of Us premiere? <laughs> what's that? I actually already know the answer because we've already talked about it. Yeah. What's um, Last of Us? It's a little video game that it's kind of an indie deep cut um you play as a a man <laughs> this is too much setup kelly this is everybody okay, knows what the last of right. us is well you're the one who asked so oh yeah next what's time, the last of us again? i won't answer a question that you ask me because the answer is the last of us is a video game but it's also related to this next story because the last of us premiere on hbo max is second only to house of the dragon a little Game of Thrones spinoff for you all. In the past 10 years, in terms of viewership, uh, it brought in 4.7 million viewers, um, which House of the Dragon had like 9.8 or something. Um, That's a pretty big deal. Uh, And that is a good sign for a potential second season. Um, Third season maybe i don't really know um but anyway it also touts sorry i use the word touts a lot in my professional writing for work so it's just sort of in my head but it also touts the biggest episode one to two surge in hbo's history that's home box office's history um which is pretty cool because that means that everybody said hey Episode one was really good. You should watch episode two. And then people were like, oh, true. And then they watched episode two. Um, I I think I was more surprised by the the surge than the view numbers. Because they've been pushing the first episode or the series so hard that I'm like, yeah, of course it did that well. Um, but the surge means that it's not just well received. It's also like massively clicking with audiences and there's tons of word of mouth going around for the show yeah and i think that um a surge is also a very good indicator because most shows fall off after the season premiere not a lot surge at all um or even have increase i mean a lot of them decrease so to get another million viewers is kind of crazy yeah definitely um so you know bodes well for a lot of boating happening in today's episode um oops yeah it it is a good sign for the future of the show yeah a bad sign for the future of the show though is that bruce straley who co-directed the last of us with neil Druckmann, didn't get credit he's not credited anywhere in the show even though he is the co-creator of the game that it is based on um he's been doing some interviews and he's been talking about the fact that there needs to be better unionization in the video game industry uh, makes a lot of sense because 
this is something that he worked hard on and his name should be intrinsically attached to. But, you know, even me, like I forget Bruce Straley is so deeply attached to Last of Us regularly because Neil Druckmann has done such a good job of like attaching his name to the brand. And even now, the show is out. This is a massive show. One of the biggest TV show premieres on TV at the time, at uh, the current time. And Bruce Straley's name is just nowhere to be seen. And I do think that there's a lot that needs to be done so that that isn't so much of a problem. Like, you should be credited for something you worked on, even if it's a an adaptation later down the line. Yeah. I think that it is a little bit weird that he is not acknowledged. I think it also probably is a lot to do with Neil Druckmann's um, enormous ego. What? <laughs> As someone who is now probably has the head the size of a hot air balloon, um, it wouldn't surprise me that he kind of likes to stand out as the creator of The Last of Us. And when people have these conversations, they don't talk about uh, the um, they don't talk about Australia. They talk about Druckmann. Um, yeah. So I do think it's odd, especially considering that in the credits there are, uh, you know, acknowledgments for Naughty Dog staff. Um, but not him. So I don't really know. I don't really get it. Maybe there's some like bad blood or something. I don't really know. Uh, you can't sing that. You'll get copywritten. That's why, I, that's why I sung it poorly. <laughs> I'm an incredible singer, but I sang it poorly so the system wouldn't flag it. Oh, well, that's so. fine then. Uh, Kelly, the second episode came out of Last of Us. Don't want to get too deep, but what'd you think? I enjoyed it. I liked it. Almost. Uh, I, I, I thought it was a good follow-up to the first episode. Did a little bit of beatboxing there just to show how excited <laughs> I was. Um, no, I, you know, I really liked it. I love, I think it's really nice to see more of Bella Ramsey playing Ellie. Uh-huh. Um, it's really nice. It was really nice to get Anna Torv, uh, her tests. Um, I think that the changes made from the game to the show are very interesting. Mm-hmm. Particularly, I, I don't really know if it's spoilery to talk about. You could just say the word fate. Um, not necessarily that. Just the like the way the zombies are a little bit different in the show. Oh, I don't think that's a spoiler because it's part of like the narrative. You know. Yeah. I think like, what's iconic about the clickers is obviously, well, the zombies in general is the the, the way they sound and the mm-hmm. way that they look. Um, so those two were really important and key to get down, which I think they did a really good job of. Particularly if you watch like the after episode behind the scenes, I guess the people, the clickers that we saw in that episode were like fans of the game. Oh, that's so cool. So they obviously understood the movement and, you know, the behavior really well. They were probably had to deal with like 40 hours of it. That's my biggest takeaway. Those clickers were spooky. Yeah, they were. They did a really good job. The effects department and the uh, practical effects applied. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very excited to see the fact that when you watch the behind the scenes stuff, the clicker head is like a it's it's there. It's real. Yeah, obviously it's enhanced in post uh with all of its glistening ew sorry um i also really like the way the one change that i really enjoy is the hive mind aspect that they have now yeah makes sense for a fungus and it also adds a lot of different kind of tension to the show tension that maybe previously existed in, in the form of spores uh now to me exists in a form of like okay if i if i step on this they're all going to know about it. Um, I thought that was really cool. And every I'm, week, I feel so blessed to be able to see uh, Pedro Pascal on my screen. Um, so, Andrew, what were your thoughts? Uh, I feel similarly about the hive mind stuff. My biggest thing is, like, I wonder if the change to these tendrils and the hive mind is, like, a setup for more last of us stuff in the future like i wonder if the next game is going to focus more on that than the spores um because i don't i don't know if they plan on retconning certain things from the original part one and part two when they make that new multiplayer game with a lot of story in it 
I don't know what's next for the universe. At this point, the big changes are like flashbacks and stuff that they've had little bits of. And I like it a lot because I think that's a world that we've never seen because Last of Us Part 1 and Part 2 are hyper-focused on the narratives of Joel and Ellie. So being able to find out like some origins of like the disease and what the world was like before the outbreak, I'm really interested to see more of that. I think that's my favorite part of this show because I've played The Last of Us probably 10, 12 times. It's one of my most, it's probably my most replayed game ever. So I don't need to see the narrative of these two as much and I'm mostly interested in what they can add. Um, I think it's also interesting because like in this episode, there is one encounter with an enemy. You know, they fight two clickers in a room and in the original game, you also fought clickers there, but there were also lots of other encounters on the way. Like that's not the only encounter with the infected that you see. So they definitely lend a lot more weight to each individual fight. You know, two clickers in the game is like scary, but you can handle it. In this, two clickers very much put a threat against the three main characters that were fighting them, you know, and it, mm-hmm. and it didn't go particularly well for them. So it's just, it's interesting to see how they approach that differently than in the games because there's no video game elements to worry about. You don't have to keep the audience like feeling like they're having fun. Yeah. Um, but I was having a lot of fun when I saw that little frog on the piano. There was a frog on a piano. It was spooky. He was doing his best. Yeah. I'm very excited for next week because we're seeing the Bill storyline. Yeah, and me that, too. I'm very curious how they're going to expand on that because it's always a storyline that I thought could have used more fleshing out, but I understood why they didn't. But this is the perfect time to do it with this show's flashbacks and stuff. I think they could do it really well. Yeah. I'm excited to see Nick Offerman. For Parks and Recreation? Of- yeah, sort of reading tweets from ruffled, young female celebrities. Ruffled, what? I just I just referenced a, an old Conan bit. Oh, where Nick Offerman would come on the show, and Nick Offerman for Parks and Recreation would read tweets from young female celebrities while oh. in his wood shop. <laughs> I'm excited to see him in a gruff, grumpy role. Yeah, uh, again. A, yeah, at, like from Parks and Recreation. Yeah, but a lot more violent. Yeah, a little bit more serious. Um. Kelly, we are a video game show. Should we talk about the video games we played? No. Good night. Goodbye, everybody. Just kidding. <laughs> I got you. You thought I was serious? <laughs> you got me good. I was. I started to tear up. Uh, we got a big game we played this week, but let's save that for the end because, you know, we got to keep the audience guessing. True. Uh, before we get into that, I want to give a shout out to our co-sponsor. As per usual, this episode is sponsored by Sentry, a new esports organization from Pittsburgh. If you're interested in viewing their content, you should go check out their Twitch page. That is twitch. Twitch. <laughs> Twitch.tv backslash PGA Sentry. Or if you're interested in viewing their content or even attending events, go to their website. That's smacksentry.gg. S M A K S E N T R Y dot G G. Wow. I don't know why letters are escaping me today, but thanks, Century, for sponsoring this episode. Thank we love you. Ya. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, I appreciate you. And I now, you. now let's talk about video games. Okay. I played a game this week, Kelly, on Game Pass. It's called Disc Room. It's a game where you play as a little yellow-suited person who is in these square rooms avoiding discs flying at you, and you try to avoid them for a certain amount of time. It's kind of like an arcade game, so sometimes you have to survive five seconds, sometimes you have to survive two minutes. Um, there's boss fights where you have to collect little little objects to make sure the boss is being defeated. It is hyper-difficult and also very fun and satisfying. Uh, the runs for each room are very short, so you don't have to worry about you know losing too much progress when you die, even when it's super difficult. But I played through all of it, and then once you beat the game, you unlock a hard mode, which is basically just the second half of the game, and I played through all of that. It took me about four hours to get through the entire thing. I didn't 100% it, but I played a lot of levels, had a lot of fun, very highly recommend it, and like I said, it's on Game Pass. If you're interested in just giving it a try, there's also a lot of accessibility options, so it doesn't have to be 
super difficult. And I definitely think it's worth anybody's time if you're interested in kind of arcade fun. Now, I'm looking, is it a feature where you're trying to play against the devs record? What is this? Um, Every level has the record. Yeah, every level has like a ghost time, which is what the devs set. That is not required. Each level, to unlock rooms, you have to fulfill certain criteria. So maybe it's like survive 10 seconds or... Uh, do this peculiar task or get killed by every type of disc in this area. Um, So there's definitely different ways to progress through the game. And then there's also a lot of challenges if you want to play it more past uh, what is just available in the base experience. You know, you can go for extremely difficult times and such. Yeah. The way the little guy dies reminds me of Hotline Miami. It's very similar to that. And like the hyper bloody effects and stuff. That's a very good. That's a very apt observation. Thank you. I consider myself very apt. <clears throat> um, what did what did you play, Miss Mr. Apt? <laughs> Mr. Um, this week I pl- I have still been playing Persona Five. Here's something really funny that I did. I've been playing Persona Five Royal for about eighty hours. No, about like seventy hours now. Okay. Um, so making my way through it. <laughs> making my way downtown Persona but, um, Royal Five. Okay. If you think that worked. And he's Joker. You should go to bed. I don't. I'm sorry. I'm done. That was really incredible work. Thank you. Was it? Was it well improvised? Yeah, I think it was actually really well improvised. Yeah, that's a good word for it. Sorry. So you're 70 hours in, and what were you gonna say? Um. So yeah, I'm really used to the mechanics. I'm used to the way the game plays. I'm used to the way it looks. Um, But something funny that happened was last Thursday, Persona 4 Golden and Persona 3 Portable were ported to, uh, you know, Game Pass, which PlayStation. The kitten caboodle. Um, So I said, I really want to play PlayStation 3 Portable. I've actually had it downloaded for like a month now. You mean Persona? Persona. What did I say? PlayStation 3 Portable. Oh my god, Persona 3 Portable. (laughs) (laughs) PlayStation 3 Portable. I wish I had a PlayStation Portable still. It doesn't work. Um, (laughs) Anyway, I started playing Persona 3 Portable on my PC, um, which, as you can imagine, it's a game that came out in like 2008, 2009. Uh, The original game came out in 2007. uh, And then Portable, I believe, came out in 2009. So as you can imagine, it, it... they did absolutely nothing uh, to remaster it whatsoever. They pretty much just upscaled everything, so it doesn't really look good. <laughs> <laughs> this is I'm being really, really nice when I say it like that. Uh-huh. Um, it doesn't really look good, but it plays the same, and it's giving me these feelings of nostalgia. I've played for about six hours. Um and then the craziest thing happened on the 20th of January. Uh, another little game came out called Fire Emblem <gasps> Engage. Ba-na-na-na-na. Why am I singing so much this week? And I've been, oh, because you have a beautiful voice. <gasps> raise it up. Thank you. You're welcome. I should, I should engage with my singing more often. I think so, too. And I should engage in supporting your singing career. Thank you. Uh, Kelly, let's jump right into Fire Emblem Engage. Yes. I hate it. It's so bad. (laughs) And I think that's an episode here. No, I am excited to talk about this game. It's it's very interesting to discuss. Would you agree with that before we get into any opinions that it's interesting to think about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of different components to the game. What would you say is your least favorite part? Because there's a lot of a lot there's a lot of negative to this game, you know? Yeah. My least favorite part is that it was the game that it was the main line Fire Emblem game that came out after Three Houses. That's my least favorite part. Because I believe that the story pales in comparison. So I guess you could say the story is a really roundabout way of saying the story. I agree it's a weird it's a weird situation because like i think that the story is pretty all right but 
it's sort of it's it starts real boring. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is Three Houses story has plenty of downtime and plenty of boring bits, but the non-linearity and the amount of choice and expression that the player has makes it intrinsically more interesting. Mm-hmm. This game doesn't have that from the get-go. I think you sort of gain that as you start to play because, in my opinion, you just become attached to units by playing as them. Um and that's the best way in a Fire Emblem game to grow close to characters. Um, but that's the only way in this game to grow close to them, really. I think the support conversations kind of fall flat. I think a lot of the writing in the main story content falls flat. And there's very little character. Like, a lot of the cutscenes in the past couple chapters that I've been playing, it's just like two or three characters. And I'm like, oh, you introduce these characters... And I know you have to account for permadeath, so it's hard. But, like, Fire Emblem Three Houses, you have, like, ten people in a scene. And all of them are interesting, and you grow to love them, and they're all involved in the main story. Whereas this game, you know, my my current favorite, Louis. Is it Louise? It's Louis, right? It's Louis. It's, it's Louis. Is it Louis? Yes. I thought it was Louis. I thought it was too. I think it's Lewis. Oh, well, that guy. He's not in any of the main cutscenes. He he got introduced in a main story moment, and now I haven't seen him in a single story cutscene. And I understand why, but it is it is just disappointing. And Three Houses had a way of getting around that problem, and this game doesn't really have that. And it's definitely going to introduce more main story characters as it goes along, as it already has at my point in... I finished Chapter 7, so I'm about... Mm, little over a quarter of the way through the game so there's a lot to go but it was hard to get into it was really hard to get past those first couple hours for me yeah i would agree with you i think that um it's hard and i feel a little bit different about three houses i feel like even the slow parts to me are very compelling because they help you establish i can never see myself replaying this game, whereas I replayed Three Houses mm, yeah. like three times. Um, I think the, and I hate to compare it because it just doesn't seem fair, but it's also the last game they put out. So it's like, how could I not compare it? Even though this isn't technically a sequel, it's the next game in the series. How could I not compare it to the last game? It's completely fair to compare. <laughs> wow, yeah. I didn't mean to do that, but. <laughs> I, I just feel like, Three Houses of the World, Fodlin, had such a deep and rich sense of lore. The world mm-hmm. building was really, really strong. The characters made sense. Their motivations made sense. I just, especially the three main lords, I felt like they were just so well done. Yeah. And people still talk about them online now, which is not something that I can say for the lords, the lord characters that are introduced and engaged. They just don't have a, a very strong sense of character and their connections to the world are not that strong either because it's not really a very well, it's not a very strongly w- written world. You know, it's very stereotypical. And and your character being this, this divine being, it just reminds me a lot of Fates. Um, not this game's to say, very similar to Fates, I think. Yeah, and not to say that, I mean, Byleth obviously had Sothis inside of them. So they were still divine in some sense. But it's like, it's just, it's so much in this game. And the way sometimes certain characters talk to your avatar is like so obnoxious and so annoying. Yeah. I will say something I really do like, though, is having a voice protagonist. Yeah, it's not, I don't think it's quite as good as Shez from Three Hopes that we got last year. Mm -hmm. But it is a lot better than Byleth in that. There's not just like silent stares. Yeah, I, I think it helps connect you to them more. Um, I've been playing with the, I guess you would say female Allure. I They kind of just call it a form. They don't really. But anyway, um, and I think her voice actress does a really good job um, with not a whole lot to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, I, I'm doing I'm doing the, the dude. Mm-hmm. Because I just like his design. I don't like either of their designs that much, but I liked his a little more. I thought yeah. his was less distracting. Um, and he's, it's definitely a good voice. There's, like you said, very little to go off to work with, but I think mm-hmm. that there's a lot of 
a lot of talent behind that. Um, yeah. There, there's this one. I'm not going to spoil it, but it's like the telegraphing in it is just so obscenely like, of course, of course. Yeah. And I'll and I'll talk to you about it right now, and you can cut it out of the episode. But the part where Lumero was like, "We're gonna go for walks, and we're gonna eat dinner together, and we're gonna talk about everything," I'm like, "Oh my god, just kill her now, just do it now!" Like <laughs> I don't think uh, that's not getting cut because that happens l- less than an hour into the game. I know that is the so that is the inciting incident. It's yeah. like I understand parents in Fire Emblem die more often than not, but to have it be so. It, it was very was telegraphed. Not, You're right. It was just not. It was just not it. I was not a fan. I was like, I, ooh, it made me so mad. I feel like we should. I think that covers the negatives for me. The story and writing ultimately are the only thing I felt feel so far that I don't like. There's a lot of other stuff, though. Um there's some design elements that I'm not huge on, but the overall aesthetic I really love. And I think the graphical polish, like that is one thing nobody can argue three houses does better. This game is very graphically polished. It is so nice looking. Uh, the animation is incredible. All of the characters are really nice looking. There's not a bunch of jagged edges on everything. It's well optimized. Um, the way that you like zoom into maps and you're fighting in exactly where you were. That's something that Fire Emblem has been doing for a while, but I feel like this game has executed it really nicely. And also like there's a really cool feature. So after you finish a battle, instead of just moving on to the next one, you get to explore the battlefield and you're like on foot and it's a third person setting and like it is exactly where you just fought. And that's such a cool little feature to do like, you know, most of the battle you're looking from a zoomed out bird's eye view but then afterwards you just get to explore and look at the nooks and crannies and you know adopt dogs to bring back to your town and i think that's i think that's a really cool feature and it's quick you're usually only there for like for me a couple minutes because i don't even talk to everybody i just talk to a couple people so you're only there like two three minutes but it's a nice little way to to bookend battles i think and it's a really there's a lot of cool touches like that Mm -hmm. and i will say um now that we've moved on from the negatives, I think yeah. the battle, like you were saying, the 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 animation is so is really well done. Um, the characters, not necessarily design wise, I'll say, but the characters movement wise look the best they ever have. Yeah, um, combat is really is it's really like it's it feels good and it feels rewarding when you do something with the engaged system. I love um, the engage system, genuinely. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting feature. I think I was not sold on it being, you know, all the old lords from past games, but I'm sold on it now because the way that the way that they interact is really interesting. I like seeing the bond conversations too. I think it adds some fun like flavor to the game. Mhm. Like seeing well, I won't spoil it, never mind. But seeing certain characters talk to characters from past fire emblem games is really fun Um, yeah it's kind of a background element almost like if you don't know who any of these emblem characters are you'll be fine yeah there's a couple i like the fourth one that i got i was like i don't even know what fire emblem she's from genuinely Yeah. yeah i um the music sounds really good oh i love i mean it's a fire emblem game so of course but they knocked it out of the park. Yeah, they did a really good job. Um, and there are certain units that I think look really good, and they mm-hmm. did a great job with design-wise. Uh, mostly the males, just because all the female characters do kind of have the same face. But um, I I like the flexibility that they give you with units. Mm-hmm. I think something that Three Houses kind of suffered from was when you first played the game the very first time you played it like no new game plus you were kind of limited to what you could do with your units there wasn't a whole lot of like oh i can just switch this character out for this character because you probably weren't recruiting from other houses um so if you got if you had a character who was stuck with like really bad level ups and really bad growths you were kind of screwed 
uh, which is not the case in this game. It really gives you a lot of options like from the jump, um, especially as you progress. And I'm a little bit farther than Andrew. I'm in like chapter nine now. And uh, I have like units who just like aren't performing for me because the level ups are purely RNG. I mean, yeah. there there's growth stats that they try to adhere to, but it's RNG whether they get their full growth stats. So like, I really like the character uh, Etier, but she's just not really performing very well for me. But I just got another really good new archer, and I'm just gonna swap him in, and maybe that's I'll exactly what him. I. That's exactly what I'm doing. Well, it's like they introduce characters who are just better than what yeah. you've got, and it doesn't necessarily incentivize you to stick with that early game group that you have, which is honestly fine because I'm gonna be honest, the early game group is not the most compelling to me. I think you start to meet the more compelling characters as you progress through the game, which we've talked about, um, yeah. that how things sort of improve. Um, yeah. There's I a just... character I really like, mm-hmm. uh, but Andrew has not met him yet, so I'm not going to talk about him. What's his name? Just because, I mean, that's not his name. It's not a spoiler. Uh, his name is Diamant. Okay. Well, He's just in the case the audience Prince is listening. Kelly just flicked her hair. <laughs> Sorry. No, I love okay. crown princes. Dimitri. Well, Krom. Me. Xander. Oh. Or no, what's his name in, in... Oh, it's Mark. Wait. What do you say? Oh, yeah, it's Xander, right? In Fates, the blonde guy? I don't remember his... The I think Nora it brother? Yeah. Fates, yeah, he was, I liked Fates him. is kind of forgettable name-wise. I cannot name any, most of those characters. I could do the royal. I could do the siblings. I could not do most of their retainers. Well, we don't. We won't talk about fates. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying is, um, I like the flexibility in the game, and also being able to. When I first started playing, I thought that the emblems could only go with certain characters, but the ability to give them to somebody else, you're like to anybody. It really opens up a door. It opens up a world of opportunities. So if you have you a can really turn characters unit, into like really weird combos yeah and i really enjoy that so the customizability is also something i enjoy um and i kind of like the somniel which is sort of your character's base of operations i don't like like the equivalent of the university yeah i don't like it as much as the monastery monastery sorry well it's the same thing but but that's just because i i'm just so attached to can you tell i'm just like so attached well that's the thing is like I feel like three houses, part of it is the excitement of walking around and talking to the characters. Somnial, that's not the case. You're there to do things. You're not there to hang out. Yeah, you're there to do squats. Sorry, I moved away from my mic. You're there You're there to do squats. <laughs> you're there to get um, bond shards pooped out at you. You're I love the to... little boy. What's yours? What, there's like a little cat, cat, dog, plushed animal. What's yours named? I just stuck with the default Sami. But I gave him the little top hat and I gave him a bow. Mine has a top hat and his name is Dinkus. The top hat is so good. <laughs> Especially for a little guy. He's perfect. Dinkus. Dinkus. I just love that it's like you go up to the shrine, it's like worship Dinkus. And I'm like, I will happily worship <laughs> Dinkus. I worship at the altar of Dinkus. Um, <laughs> the altar of Dinkus. I also, what else do I like about the Somnio? I like the training. I wish there's a little too much loading in this game just like a tiny bit too much but that's also because i'm playing mostly series x and ps5 right now um if the loading screens were a little quicker i think i'd like it even more because like the training is fun it's cute and like it's interesting to watch your units fight each other um that's not something you get to see a lot yeah Uh, the only thing i wish there was more opportunity to build support and i think you'll notice this especially since you're playing on hard they don't give you a lot of skirmishes Mm. Um, so your support capabilities are limited to, you know, maybe one skirmish per chapter and then the chapter itself and then cooking. And that's really it. Yeah. And sometimes the cooking really backfires. Um, never have you not cook anything for you or your units because she's a really bad cook. Good to know. I just want to give you that as a tip. I love her so far though. I think she's funny. She's great. And you, well, I was going to say, I like her a lot because I, her voice actress is also the voice actress of a character in Persona 5 Royal, who yeah. I really love. Um, 
so I'm already attached to her. But she's also Catherine from Three Houses. Yeah. Um, which, sorry, I can't stop talking about it. It's okay. It's the it's, it's like the previous game. <laughs> I just, um, I was also surprised. So I, I'm playing on hard. You are as well, right? You're, we're both hard casual, so it's like yeah. hard mode, but your units don't die permanently. Um, so battles are still challenging. Um, I had a battle. It was chapter four or five. Um, I think it was chapter five. Incredibly brutal, and I just was like having a really tough time. And after you you lose, you have the option to rewind. You get 10 rewinds, and you can use them at your own discretion, um, but you're forced to use it after your main character dies. I was just getting absolutely destroyed in this battle, and then eventually I ran out of rewinds because I just kept missing attacks and didn't successfully win. It took me 70 minutes to get to that point, so I felt like I was I was really disheartened. Thankfully, there was an option to restart and maintain experience growth. So it's like, okay, well, at least I'm going in with like higher level characters now because they did grow a lot because I was taking out a lot of units. And I kind of like learned the mechanics of the game. I think there's a lot more benefit to keeping your units in sort of formation. I think other games, like Three Houses comes to mind, that you have some units that are just so insane that you can just be like, yeah, just go over there, just go. And you send them off on their own. You send Claude over to just snipe a bunch of people on his own. You send uh, any, I don't know. Dimitri You send, was, you send Dimi- Byleth over to just do insane things. Yeah. Yeah. To, I was going to say, to me, Dimitri was like my broken bull that I would just like, when I was playing Blue Lions, I would just like, go yonder. And he would just like. And he tank. can't die. Yeah. Like but crazy. now it's like, I mean, the big thing for me, like the past few games, you're player character was just untouchable Mm -hmm. and this game i sent my player character ahead during that battle like yeah he can handle this died super quick and i was like oh gosh like you need help Um, so once i figured it out i actually didn't have that much trouble i finished it and probably about half the time was a little smarter about it and since then i haven't had much trouble but i do think hard mode is the way to go because it really like encourages you to think and plan and not just run forward and kill everything um it's not crazy difficult at this point but i'm still very happy to play that way and like the mechanics are just so engaging sorry for the pun oh i think the engaged mechanic is really cool it like allows for a lot of interesting stuff and they're all unique from each other and very good like they create very positive um decision making capabilities and the way you compare things together is really interesting um i feel like if i put sigurd with Lewis, it's going to break my game, but I want to <laughs> do does. it. Yeah. I haven't done that yet. Lewis is friends with Marth, not Sigurd yet. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah. I think there's so much, there's so many options. And honestly, okay, I love Three Houses. It's one of my favorite games. It's probably, no, it is my favorite Fire Emblem, okay? Whatever you're about to say, don't say it. I was hungry for a linear Fire Emblem. No. I think a Fire Emblem that has one story, because I, I don't like replaying games that much, so having to play three times to see the full story was always something that was a downside yeah. to me, because it's a long game. And admittedly, they don't give you the option to like start from a good point. You have to like really play the game. To, to... You have to start over. Yeah, yeah you start. It's, it's like it's... an hour in, you pick. Yeah. So I was really hungry for a linear game. Story-wise, I don't think this game's benefits from the linear structure. I think gameplay-wise, I'm the world map is fun for me. It reminds me a lot of Echoes. Did you play Shadows of Valentia? I did not. I was going to say it reminds me of Awakening. Yeah, you should go back and play Echoes. There's a lot of things about this that I think they learned. Part of me thinks they have two Fire Emblem teams, because this feels like a sequel to Shadows of Valentia to me, almost mechanically. And maybe the next game is going to feel like a sequel to Three Houses. I think you're right. I think, and I honestly think we will see a Fire Emblem game sooner than we think. Like, I think that this game was, I agree. I think maybe they have two teams working. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're going to see the next Fire Emblem game within, you know, next year. Like within? Within this year. Do you mean within 20, like? Like before in twenty twenty four, like or before January twentieth, twenty twenty four. You I do think we'll get another Fire Emblem game. I do. That'd be. Cr- well, I think a remake would make a lot of sense. Possibly but a, a full new one, maybe we'll see. 
I think I'd I'd be very down for a remake of some of a classic, like maybe like one of the Ike games or one of the Roy games. Yeah. But we'll have to wait and see. Um I love it though. I'm really enjoying the mechanics. I'm I feel like I'm loving it more and more as I go on. I'm like nine hours in. So I feel like I really have a grasp on the mechanics now. Um I'm like like I got through a, a story battle and I didn't lose a single unit and I felt amazing. And I'm like, this is yeah. great. That's when it feels real good. It's not when you just get by. It's like when you really dominate, but you earned it because you were smart about how you went about the battle and yeah. patient. And I don't have experience. patience. You don't yeah. lose units and then they fall off because they don't have experience. Yeah. But uh, I feel like we've talked the audience's ear off about Fire Emblem Engage. But yeah. if you're interested, be prepared for a boring start. But if you like that kind of gameplay style definitely go into this one if you liked three houses largely for the social elements they are not here the social elements are cut back to almost not nothing like there's still conversations but you can still s support yeah you can get married but which is the most important thing to me it wasn't until i saw the crown prince of brodia i'll tell you that much (laughs) (laughs) my favorite part of three houses i think it was like the classroom mechanics and stuff so that being gone was a disappointment but i think that this game has a lot of good stuff going for it and i'm excited to play i'm gonna play more for sure yeah me Um, too i'm gonna finish this one for sure it it, like you said i this is a one and doneer for sure like awakening and fates i love but i don't revisit because of that linearity three houses i've revisited because of the options i will not be revisiting this game and apparently I'll be playing another Fire Emblem within the year, according to... You heard it here first, folks. We did. What if the Switch 2 comes out in March of 2024 with a crazy big Fire Emblem game? And Claude's in it? I mean, sorry. I don't want Claude in it. I don't what want a Three I Houses do? 2, though. But it's not It's not Three Houses 2. Claude's in this one. Did yeah, you buy the expansion it's not pass? Like it's like Kid Claude. What? Did you buy the expansion pass? No. no. Okay. No. I will not, because I don't even... Realistically, I'm probably not even gonna want to play the DLC. I love, I love, the, I love Claude and Edelgard and Dimitri, but I'm not doing that. Sorry. No, they're also one, yeah, like one ring, which I think is strange. Yeah, I've seen enough clips on YouTube and the Fire Emblem subreddit that I know what their engage attacks look like, so I'm satisfied. Yeah. Well, that'll do it for another episode of Talking Games. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week with some impressions of Hi-Fi Rush, probably. Maybe something else. Maybe probably more Persona. Definitely more Last of Us. (laughs) Oh. Oh. Oh, very exciting. We follow a trajectory, that's for sure. We sure do. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks, all. Have a good day, night, afternoon, week. Bye. Bye.